I cannot believe you just said that. Talk to you. Last game, he was throwing nothing but straight piss missiles. Is this the tiger? That's why he has to be the greatest. He's not, dude. He's not. You think he's in danger of losing his spot? He is the danger, man. Welcome into the first ever episode of the Lace Em Up podcast. I am your host for today, Landon Pats, joined by my established colleague, Tyler. How are you today, Tyler? It's actually Ty Gensler, but... I'm so sorry, Ty Gensler. It's all good. I apologize. But I'm doing great, you know? First episode. I know. Great feeling. We got all sorts of exciting feelings to it. We literally met two weeks ago, and here we are making a podcast. Here we are. Just for a little bit of background on us, guys, we are a couple of students at Oklahoma State University, both in our first year here. Just trying to figure out the media side of everything else and figure what better way to do that than just sit down and talk some sports. Best way to do it, to get get involved. So, I figure we might as well get straight into it. First thing on the agenda for for today is the news section of our look. One of the things that we really wanted to look into for the start was the Noah Lyles comments that he made about the NBA and how they call themselves the world champions. So, when we're talking about Noah Lyles, his specific quote for everybody within that was, give me one second to pull it up, you know the thing that really hurts me the most is that I have to watch the NBA Finals and they have world champion on their head. World champion of what? The United States? Lyle's question. There are no world champions in the NBA. So anybody that has the flag up that says world champions is not correct. It's not appropriate. The world champions, I believe, are the Spanish team right now. USA is the Olympic champion. The Lakers are the NBA champion. Which, for starters, he's just wrong about that part anyway. But if we want to get into this conversation, I think one of the biggest things that we have to look at is the NBA as a whole and its structure. Simply based that the NBA is an entirely globally based game now. We have the NBA first team pulled up right in front of us here. And from what we see, it's Giannis, a Greek. Jason Tatum, a U.S.-born player. Joel Embiid, man born in Cameroon. Shea, born in Canada. And Luca, born in Slovenia. That's a little bit of diversity, don't you think? Yeah, it's more than just the United States. Yeah. and The for, first team. First All-NBA team. That's just the first team. Just the first five best players in the league right now. Not to mention the guy who won the championship is from Sambor, Serbia, right? Right. So this game has now evolved itself into a global epidemic and how everybody has structured the game itself. It's just within the NBA. They all go to the highest level of game that they can play. That makes sense. You want to go into the hardest competition. If the Spanish League was offering as much money as the NBA, then we have a conversation. But I also believe that it's hard to talk about the idea of a world champion in the terms of nationality, because it's not how the NBA is structured in any way. No, I mean, they offer anybody to come in. Exactly. It's the league. Exactly. And they're not in a sense of pride for their own towns, right? If you talk about, I'm going to continuously, of course, talk about Denver sports, because that's where I'm from. But if you talk about a guy like Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray, both came from basically separate sides of the globe to meet in Denver, Colorado. I'm pretty sure Denver, Colorado doesn't mean a whole lot to them, but Sambor, Serbia, and Kitchener, Canada, maybe they do, right? So it's hard to then say, well, the Denver Nuggets are going to go out and try and compete for world champions because they're not fighting for that. The NBA is designed to build up people that are making money, people that want to win championships, and people that want to succeed in front of the television and be in the largest stage. It's not made for nationality competitions, right? But, I mean, it's... Going into it, like, 
you know, not saying if you're not in the NBA, you're a bad basketball player, but, you know, just how with the league structure and how every other league is, I mean, you got players like Dwight Howard and Jimmy Fredette scoring 40 points. That's a great point. And then no. they come here, they're averaging like 10. Yep. It just shows. It's a great point. You have people that are going over from being the some of the worst players on NBA rosters right now. I mean, Dwight Howard last year had to be bought out by the Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers at the time who had not made the playoffs, right? They just wanted to get him out of their locker room. In one year in China, Chinese basketball, he is now the most popular player and the most productive player in that league. And you can even go into like the uh, freaking like the Olympics and stuff. Like besides like the Dream Team, and I believe it was like the 2008 roster where they had LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and stuff. Like not all the top players are going. Mainly it's because of the Paul George injury and the incident. But you had players like uh, Fred Van Liet, Demar Derozan, talented players, but not top ten, top five. And they're still just whipping everyone by 40. 100%. And it becomes a conversation of how much do you really think that the world could compete with the United States or the NBA as a whole. I think the NBA was perfectly petty when they came out earlier after that comment was made. And sent Luca. And sent Luca to go play his old team in Real Madrid. That was funny. And it will go just as every other exhibition a game has gone where the uh, United States NBA team has played an overseas team. They'll win by 40. It's not a disrespect to Real Madrid or how they play basketball. They play a very different style. It's just the level of talent that's over there. Exactly. I mean, it's a very different game. So, Noah Lyles, I would love to see you coming to the NBA. Please. Compete please on that. Do. Now, the other one I wanted to bring up with this, I was kind of thinking about yesterday as we were coming home from class. Yeah. If you're Noah Lyles and you're in the final heat of a race and there are three other Americans racing against you and two Germans, are you allowed to call that a world championship now? Because now you're only competing against people from two countries. That's fair. Right? Oh, but everybody competed to get to that point, so only the best could make it that far. Wasn't that kind of the same idea as the NBA? Exactly. Only the best will make it up to that point, and from there it doesn't really matter what your country is. It matters if you're the best at what you do. I get what Noah Lyles is trying to get, but like, as how the most common saying of 20, since 2020 is, you got to educate yourself. Exactly. I think that he'll figure it out after that. He also did a great job of putting himself in the press. I think more than anything, he wanted a he little got, bit of he natural He got involved. Attention. He got popular. Yeah. I think he he was, like, focusing that one-liner probably all night before he mm-hmm. went to sleep. He probably thought about exactly what he wanted to do with that. Yeah. Moving forward in here, I think we should probably move next to the NFL preseason and kind of f- looking forward to the NFL season, probably the best time of the year. Is the time. Good old football season. Some of the more notable cuts that were made in the preseason this year, Kendall Hinton for the Denver Broncos. You might remember him for starting a game when the entire quarterback's room there got uh, sent out with COVID. The Giants cut James Robinson, the backup running back who used to play in Jacksonville. The Bears cut P.J. Walker. You might remember him from the Carolina-Atlanta game where he threw an absolutely beautiful ball to D.J. Moore, who then proceeded to throw his helmet in the ground and get an unnecessary daunting penalty. But we won't talk about it. Um, The Cardinals cut Colt McCoy. That one is one I will want to come back to because I think that is a lot bigger than just wanting to cut Colt McCoy. Patriots cut Trace McSorley. The Chargers cut Max Duggan, which I find kind of interesting that they spent a fifth-round pick on a quarterback and then cut him. Texans cut Desmond King. Rashad Perriman, former first-round pick, was cut from the Colts. Ronnie Harrison, former second-round pick, was cut from the Colts. Panthers cut Gion Jones after trying to pay him $5 million a year to come play football for them. Former first-round pick for the Raiders, Alex Leatherwood, was cut from the Bears on on the same Saturday. All of the Patriots' backup quarterbacks. This is another one that I think we should probably get talking to because I think the For next one sure. after it will be another point with this. Panthers cut Matt Corral, which has a lot to do with the quarterback situation in New England. And the Saints cut James Washington, which for both of us sitting here at Oklahoma State, 
hurt a little bit close to home. Hurt a little bit. Alright, so moving back onto these, I have a couple of these that I really want to spend some time on with these guys. Number one, I want to look specifically at the Patriots quarterback room. Now, you are a follower of the Patriots. I'm you kind of understand Patriots what fan. they're going on right now. I mean, going into it, uh, you know, as Patriots fans, there's a, there, everyone's bipolar. Like, going from Tom Brady to Cam Newton, not the greatest thing, and people like automatically just want to go back to the winning board. Draft Mac Jones in the first round. Great. Like, you knew that Mac Jones going in it was the most pro-rated quarterback out of all of them. But you kind of knew, like, that's all he's going to get. But I think what the Patriots tried to do, because at first I was confused, cut Bailey Zappi, Malik Cunningham, who looked great in the preseason. But ever since the Bears game last year, where we got destroyed on national television, everyone in the Patriots crowd was chanting Zappi's name. Malik Cunningham goes off. They're like, hey, he can be a good starter. But cutting all of them and saying, hey, Mac's our guy, like, I respect that from Bill Belichick. I said that, and so the Patriots signed Matt Corral uh, yesterday, and now I don't know where we're at now. Like that's the that's the most confusing part of all of this to me is signing a quarterback that has no experience in your guys' offense to be your backup QB for the year. I completely understand the idea of wanting to verify that Mac Jones is your guy, and by taking both of those players off of the main roster, they both made the practice squad, correct? Yes. Both Malik and Bailey. Okay, so. By putting those two on the practice squad, you are automatically establishing who your starting quarterback is. What I get really worried about, however, is if we get into week one or week two and Matt Corral is the only other active quarterback on the roster, say something happens to Mac Jones, God forbid, you're now putting in a quarterback that doesn't know your system. You're now putting in a quarterback that has no idea about the offense and has been learning it for probably two weeks now. The thing about it is, uh, I kind of thought about it, is... For one, there's a big fan base for Matt Corral, not just for, from Ole Miss, but everyone believed that he deserved a shot because of his injury last year in the preseason. But the new offense coordinator, Bill O'Brien, he coached Alabama, and he had that uh, shootout against Ole Miss and saw Matt Corral. It was Mac Jones versus Matt Corral. So that might be a reason, you know, just seeing him through Ole Miss, knew what he has to offer. But, again, it's just a very questionable move. It's an interesting one for sure. That's a good um, point that he had already seen and watched Matt Corral kind of perform yeah. and work there. One of the interesting things, I've always kind of liked Matt Corral as a prospect. I like the way he has a quick throwing motion. His arm talent is insane. He's very mobile quarterback. I think a lot of his issues come with the cerebral side of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see how he picks up a pretty advanced, hard offense right away. Yeah, just straight run and gun, check downs. Just, yeah, you got to be able I to mean, figure out the system and make your reads from right experience. Away. I don't know what Bill O'Brien's going to bring to the table. I'm not the biggest fan of Bill O'Brien, but... I think it'll be a heck of a lot better than last year. I believe there will be a, a whole true lot scheme for him. I think from what I've known and seen from Bill O'Brien from his Texas days and when he was at Alabama, his offense a lot of times is consistent on read and react. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of being able to make split-second decisions and making sure that you know exactly where the ball is supposed to be on what time. And again, I'll be really curious to see if something like that can be meshed over a quick amount of time. I hope for your guys' sake that we don't have to figure that out this year. Maybe Mac Jones is just that guy. I think it's it's going to be really interesting. I think he's going to help Mac Jones a lot. But there has been times when, because I followed Alabama football, um, especially against Alabama versus Tennessee. Friggin' tied ball game, fourth quarter, one minute, like two minutes remaining. You have... Uh, Jameer Gibbs, who was having the game of his life that time, had probably four total touchdowns. Give him the rock, waste time, chew clock, kick the field goal, win. No, Bill O'Brien decided to do four straight, four verticals, and Bryce Young just couldn't connect. Not on Bryce. It was just like 
they were in the prevent defense pretty much going yep. into it. It'll be interesting to see for sure. I think there's a lot of those coaches that after a certain amount of time, it's how many more how many more retries are we going to have? How many more retreads are we going to keep doing before we see the trend of the young new coordinator coming in as your head coach and fixing your offense? And i.e. a Kevin O'Connell. Um, a Doug Peterson's a good example of this when he first got to Philly. Even Jacksonville now, same idea. Just guys that have new innovative ideas that are going to be able to push you forward on offense it's, and help you win games. It's definitely going to be a lot better than Matt Patricia because yep. I've, I've never been a fan of defense coordinators having any calls on the offense. Yeah, I don't unless, know. Unless if, there's like some occasions, but like people like Freddie Kitchens, Matt Patricia. Get away from the offense. Absolutely. Please. Absolutely. I think the other one on here that's notable for cuts would be the Colt McCoy cut from the Cardinals. Yeah. I I really have to see this as they're just trying to take the season away. They got him. Like, I mean, you put um, you put Kyler Murray in the, the PUP list, and your only options are the rookie or Joshua Dobbs. I believe they named Dobbs the starter for a week. I mean, you could have signed Matt Corral. Given you could have. You could have. Like, there's a trade that we'll get into a little bit later that I also think they should have probably been in on the sweepstakes. They should have. They pro for how cheap they got him, I think they yeah. should have been in on the sweepstakes. A hint, hint for everybody at home, it's Trey Lance. Um, I think for the Cardinals specifically, this is a smart move in some ways and a, and a bad move in others. I think Joshua Dobbs is really smart. He's a smart dude, He's and I like him as a quarterback. I think guy. you get into a conversation of how much are you going to lose the locker room. And maybe you already have, and people like Buda Baker asking out for a trade is already a massive point to this, but how much more is that front office and that coaching staff going to lose that locker room and then say, well, we'll pick it up next year and you'll just respect us. I would love for the NFL to work just like we hop on our Madden franchises and you can just tank for a year, get the number one overall pick, and everybody's happy dandy the next year, right? Yeah, no, That's not, not how it goes. works. And I think that they're going to start burning a whole lot of bridges. And maybe this is for the right thing, because they have been a pretty terrible franchise for a while now. There was. Do you remember the survey poll that came out about who had the worst nutrition, who had the all worst facilities? Fs. I remember. Yep. All and the Arizona Cardinals were sitting right at the bottom. And so maybe this is their way of saying we're going to clean house for good and kind of figure out our ways around this to make this a better organization internally. It just it sucks, man. Like, you had so much potential. You were in the NFC Championship game Absolutely. against the Panthers. You know, you had Palmer, Fitzgerald, Patrick Peterson, and then it just all went down from there. And even the teams after that, I felt like, had a lot of potential and a lot of spots that they could have been really good. It's yeah. I think what's failed them in a lot of cases is coaching, number one. I don't think Obviously. Cliff Kingsbury was a great coach. And number two, I think that they have a lot of issues internally with just the day-to-day -day lifestyle of everything. Imagine, I think... For people listening at home and thinking about this in their own way, imagine two different jobs that you've had. Think about the worst job that you've ever had in your life. When you walked in, it was a sticky floor, you probably worked in some fast food joint that was not enjoyable to go to at all. You hated work every day that you walked in that door, right? So sounds understandable. Is relatable. it harder in that spot, then, to do your absolute best work and care and give everything that you have to give to that organization? Okay. So in that case, if you're in an organization, cough, cough, say the Chiefs, some of these better, more premier teams, the Steelers, I would include in that, you go into a stable work environment, a clean work environment, a place that's been established to somewhere that will take care of you and that you know can, you can succeed in. I feel like in that situation, especially in the NFL, when you're dealing with people that are dealing with millions of dollars, it's so much easier for them to say, okay, I'll buy into what you're saying. Mm -hmm. These facilities are backing what you're saying. The, the training staff is backing what you're saying. The people that you're employing are backing your values and what you're saying. For sure. Man. And the I Cardinals totally need agree. to get to that point. Cardinals, yeah, they need to go back to the basics. Like, hey, man, like, we got Fs on everything. Yeah, we got to be able to be a, a destination place for me, which is also crazy to me. I think 
Phoenix and Arizona sports should be a bigger destination spot than they are. Really and I think, really, it's just been on them. Yeah, like, the Phoenix, like, fan base is extremely strong. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you're a Suns fan, like, from the Valley, like, before they went to the finals, when you had, like, Marquise, Chris, Dragon Bender, like, oh, yeah. worst team in the league, there were still people popping out to it, like... They have a great fan they base. They have a great fan base. It's a great spot to live for a lot of athletes. I feel like it's probably the closest Besides thing the you weather. can... Exactly. It's probably the closest thing you can get to California without actually being in California. I think it should be such a bigger and premier market for teams like the Phoenix Suns, the Arizona Cardinals, all of these teams. But I think they've been just kind of been shooting themselves over and over in the foot to make it so that it can't become that destination spot. The only person that they really have gone to that rival is the Suns. Yep. Which I am impressed with. Yep. And I think that took a whole new set of ownership as well. That too. So. Now, the Trey Lance trade. This shocked me, kind of. I agree. I think, I, I mean, I've told people this, like, hey, if Dak, Dak can't go to the Super Bowl or even, in, like, MC Championship, probably need to look forward to a new, at least try something different. And with Trey Lance going, like, I think this is the perfect spot for him, even though the Cowboys can be inconsistent, but I'd rather learn from Dak Prescott than Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold, honestly. When I think about quarterbacks, I have kind of two rules of thumb. If you can't succeed in Kyle Shanahan's offense, I'm not sure you're going to succeed anywhere. That is fair. And if you are talented enough to make it with a defensive head coach, then you're a good enough quarterback to play in the NFL. I agree. I think it's hard for me right now to look at how little an opportunity that he got with Kyle Shanahan for how much they gave up and how much they wanted him in that room to say, I'm, I am i don't think anybody is overly confident about Trey Lance moving forward, but I do agree with you. I think that for the Cowboys' perspective on this, this is incredible value. Mm-hmm. you got a dude that was drafted number three overall, regardless of how many picks were traded for him to get there. you got a guy who's picked number three overall at a premier position for a fourth-round pick. He has played less career snaps than... G- Have you seen this stat? In his high school career, his college career, and his NFL snaps, he has a totaled less total snaps than Geno Smith took last year. Damn. Geno Smith had over 600 snaps last year. Trey Lance has got right around 590 snaps on his career. Well, they took that and considered... you got to think, like he's from North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. They knew it was going to be a pro- uh, project quarterback. He had the COVID year where he, he didn't play at all. Had the COVID year. They knew it was going to take him time. Then they try to throw him in week one, towards ACL, unfortunately. And then there's that video of Jimmy Garoppolo smiling as he's warming up. And it's just, it's a tough situation. I mean, you gave up that many picks, but I don't know why you would not give him, like, a shot. I get it, Brock Purdy took over. But, yeah. like, you got to give him at least some chance besides, like, one to two drives in the preseason. I almost feel like this has a lot of the same connotations that the Bill Belichick cutting the two quarterbacks had. If you know what I mean. Yeah. The idea of like our locker room could be split, our locker room could be worrying about oh, yeah. we're trying to develop somebody. Because I think I, this was brought up somewhere else and it's blanket on me where I heard it from before, but if I remember, I'll give him credit. It's hard to look Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, George Kittle, all these dudes in their prime in their face and say, we're going to be developing a quarterback for your guys' prime. Yeah. If the Patriots quarterback was already split, like I couldn't imagine San Francisco's because there was like articles saying like, Man, Trey Lance, I don't know how he's doing that practice. Sam Darnold's the best thrower we've seen, but Brock Purdy's consistent. Like, they had to have been, like, three-way split. For sure, and I think that Kyle Shanahan handled it, handled it pretty well. It's still hard. I think you kind of have to ask now, is this the worst ever quarterback trade in NFL history? I, Depending on what Trey Lance turns into, of course. And I think that it 
for seeing how much the Miami Dolphins got back for Trey and the value that they accrued from that. Because remember, this is not just like, oh, they got three first-round picks that turned into nothing. Mm -hmm. This turned into Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, Bradley Chubb, and a fourth-rounder this year that's blanking on it right now. These are premier players at premier positions. I believe this is equivalent as the Brooklyn Nets trading all those first-round picks to the Celtics. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. That's a good that's a good trade. But pass. I mean I get I understand like if you can't get in the, the Shanahan offense, like I don't know how you're gonna succeed. But I really think the way how Trey Lance has opened up, he's looking this as a new opportunity. He said, uh, end quote, for me it's just learning, taking one day at a time, not really looking too far forward or anything like that, but really right now just kind of a sponge and learn and enjoy every day. And then he's also said Man, nothing but knowledge in these meetings, Lance confirmed. It's been awesome for me. It's been fun. Kind of a breath of fresh air to learn a new offense. Being around the guys these last two days, I feel like I've learned so much. Just ball. I think he's going to take this a lot, and I think it's going to be kind of how Jimmy G was last time, like last year. I mean, if Dak – hopefully it doesn't happen. If Dak does get God hurt. God forbid, yeah. God forbid Dak gets hurt, and he's going to be warming up knowing it's his time. He's got CD, Brandon Cooks. Tony Pollard, even Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, even. good player. Um, Love me some Deuce. I also think it would just be a good thing for the league if Trey Lance was a good player. I think I so, I think too. it would be – I, I love these kind of big mobile quarterbacks that have all this potential, right? You get The more Josh Allens, the more Cam Newtons, the more of those type of guys you can have that succeed in the league, the more fun the league is every time. So, of course, we're rooting for Trey Lance. And to and make it very that, clear more, it's uh, You also got to root for – Quarterbacks are not in a power five. Like Correct. again, he's from North Dakota State. You had people like Carson Wentz who had thrived, and then unfortunately towards ACL, yeah. kind of backboned his career a little bit. But Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's nice to see a fresh face, new college, no Alabama, no OU, just Absolutely. North no Dakota State, State of all places. Absolutely, it's a good thing to see. So we're rooting for you, Trey. We hope that you do well in Dallas. But we are questioning what the San Francisco 49ers were thinking on picking you in the first place. I mean, you might as well have just gone with Mac Jones at that point. Yeah, but, but hey, you live and you learn, apparently, huh? You live and you learn. So the final section of our segment here that we're kind of looking into is we want to start kind of previewing the college football and NFL season moving forward. So last night was kind of the opening to the season. Now I know that USC and Tulane played, and there was a couple – or Tulsa, excuse me, played um, earlier this, this week and everything else, and – there was a few other games. I feel like, in my way, last night was kind of the opening. With it was the, kind of the opener. The Utah-Florida game. Utah-Florida? I mean, Utah didn't surprise me at all. Nope. You beat you beat USC twice last year. You beat the Heisman, of all things. You know they're going to be on the rise. Absolutely. I think what really surprised me more than anything, there was two things, actually, that surprised me a lot from that game. Number one, the dysfunction of Florida at the moment is terrifying. It's it's really been like you go from SEC championship against one of the better Alabama teams to now. It was hard to watch. Their it was very hard night. to watch. It looked very bad. Their as timing was bad on everything. The Graham Mertz was pump faking every other play, and every time would set off the the route combinations and screw up the timing on stuff. Their running game was off. Their offensive line couldn't pick up blitzes very well. It just didn't look like a power one division five level team. It didn't look like an SEC team. That too, exactly. And this is, I think, part of it's hard for Florida is the fall from grace. Is you're now playing teams like Utah and. They talked about this a couple times last night on the broadcast that Florida has probably the hardest schedule in the country right now. And old Florida teams would look at that and say, that's probably a good thing for us. We're going to be a national championship contender because we have the team, the players that can be good enough to be in that spot. And I think 
Eventually, Florida will get back to it. I just think it's going to take some time. With how many new powerhouses are there and how close they are in proximity, I think a kid that's going to a Florida or that lives in a Florida, South Florida, and gets a call from Georgia, that's close enough, right? Yeah. I don't need to go too far from that. I I know Alabama has a great recruiting class down in Florida, and they take care of that stuff. So you've kind of lost the idea of being the big in-state school. Yeah don't really have the power over FSU at this moment. So it's it's an odd spot for Florida to be in for sure. I will be very curious to see how they kind of fight through this adversity because if I if I was just basing everything off of what I saw last night, I would not have a whole lot of faith in this team to do anything. Especially with OU and Texas coming like yeah, yeah. it's going to be It's going to get harder over time less than easy. Mm-hmm. Some of these bigger programs are also going to get a lot better over time. Yeah. Sure. Some of the games that we are looking forward to this upcoming weekend, so on this segment, we're going to call it Pat's Pick of the Week for right this very moment. Pat's Picks. Pat's Picks of the Week. We can figure it out as we go. Some of the things that we want to look at in there, if we're looking at the NCAA, some of the upsets and some of the better games that we're looking at here. Colorado at TCU. Ooh. I think everybody is interested in this game, maybe based on just the fact that Dion's in Colorado, and I think that's enough. In Colorado. Yeah, that's enough yeah. to say that it's a marquee matchup and something interesting. Also, TCU is a program. What are you going to look like after you just had the greatest recruiting class in your team's history? And also probably one of the worst national championship games. Absolutely. I think it's hard for a team like that to come back and say we are the same level of team. It's hard for them to replenish the assets that they had. They had one of the best transfer portal classes ever the year before that when they got Quentin Johnston in there and they brought some of these other guys in. They had, I believe, eight people drafted from that team. So it's a it's a very new team, a very new place. It's a new um, face in the block. Like, I think it's going to be a really good game. I, I think so. The too. line right now is at 20 and a half. For ESPN. Okay. But I I think that Colorado is going to cover that, and I think this is going to be a one-touchdown game. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if TCU wins, but Coach Prime is bringing something. Absolutely. And I 12. think the thing that's going to keep Colorado in these games is that they have they have their quarterback and they have their playmakers. Exactly. Their offensive line can be shaky. They have to bring in some more recruits for those guys. They have Shadur Sanders. Which that's going to be... Interesting enough with Sanders going in that quarterback. Absolutely. I think he's a really good player. I think so, too. Um, but you have your playmakers there. I think that'll be a really good game midday on that day. Next, we got going on on, I believe it is Monday, correct? Or is it Sunday? The LSU-FSU game. That, I believe, is Sunday. Sunday night game at Louisiana State University at Florida State University. First top ten matchup of the season this year. I think this is going to be a good one. I think so too. I I have a hard time rooting, not rooting. I should excuse myself. I have a hard time having a lot of faith in FSU because so. I feel like we do this song and dance just about every year. It's really hit or miss. Exactly. I feel like we've done this dance every year since Jameis Winston left Florida State, where they're ranked somewhere in the top ten every year to start the year. They play some big game early on, either week one or week two. Usually it's Alabama, Florida, whoever the powerhouse is. They get stomped. And then we never hear from them in the top ten again. And I'm curious if this is the year that's different from that. They like their quarterback down there, Jordan Travis. They have a big receiver. They have a big old six foot eight receiver out there in Florida. Um, I think they could be a good team, but I, they're kind of one of those programs right now where it's a I need to see it before I believe it. Yeah. And for that, I'm going with the Tigers. Go with the Tigers. I also think that Jaden Daniels is something else, dude. Jaden Daniels is that guy. He is a fun player to watch, and I think he will be a first-round pick this year. I hope he's a first-round pick this year. I believe so, too. Finally, wrapping up our NCAA games to look out for this week, we have an upset watch. We have number three-ranked Ohio State going into Indiana on Saturday. 
Yeah. Now, the only reason I am saying that this could be an upset, there are two specific reasons to this. Number one, Ohio State, as per usual, has an incredible amount of turnover. Really they have does. a new quarterback. They have a new system. They really the only people that they're bringing back on offense is Marvin Harrison Jr. and Travion Henderson. Which big game changers. Absolutely. Those are two players that are massive for your team. Probably the best receiver at, in the nation. But they're starting five new offensive linemen. That's a problem. You have an entirely new quarterback. Your running back room has one guy left in it from last year. It's a whole lot of change. And I think that going to the road in Indiana to play a conference game week one, where you know that Indiana is going to get up for that game, you know it's going to be a good atmosphere. And I think Indiana has a pretty decent program right now. I believe the line for this game right now is set at 31 and a half. I would not be shocked if this is a 10-point game. I would still pick Ohio State to win the game, Me obviously. Too. I think that's probably the smart thing to do. I would not be shocked if Indiana has them stressing until the fourth quarter. As long as it's not like how it was with Nebraska versus Minnesota, I think it's going to be a great game. That would be very nice to not have. That was a tough one. Yeah, it was very tough. I mean, Matt Rule coming in, like I was excited to see him, see how he would uh, affect that uh, program, and hopefully maybe Nebraska comes back, but I mean... Quarterback through three interceptions. You had 30 minutes of time possession. Only got 10 points. Like, it's a yeah. I don't know. Not a good look. The some of those programs out there right now are just really struggling for the ability to figure out their stuff and go to go to their sets and everything else. I think when you bring in a new coach and a new coordinator, obviously it's hard to get a new system in. But that's part of what tells you if you're a really good coach or not. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's gonna it's gonna right test page. if. I mean, they fought. I mean, it's not like they got blown out, but it was just Absolutely. hard to watch. So it was a hard one to watch. It, was, it wasn't It was really a morale victory either. Like, yeah, you'd lost to Minnesota by three, but it was just like you threw. You had like four turnovers that game, couldn't move the ball much. Very sloppy. Your only touchdown was your wide receiver doing a double pass. So yep. that was – Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting game for sure. I am going to real quick turn over to some of the more logistical side of college football. One of the things that we had on here was kind of the question mark of what Stanford, California, and SMU would be doing. And sure enough, yesterday reporting from ESPN, Pete Thamel reported that the ACC presidents and chancellors met on Friday morning and the three schools, Stanford, Cal, and SMU, are entered into the conference. These will be entered in 2024-2025. Dang. First off, it is weird for me that there is going to be Stanford and the University of California in the Athletic Coast Conference, or Atlantic Coast Conference, excuse me. It's that's just weird to me. Conference um, realignment's been such a joke. It has been such a joke. It's all based on money right now, and I think that eventually they're going to kind of figure themselves a little bit, figure themselves out a little bit more. But it's it's a mess right now. I think you're going to have a lot of kids with a lot of issues on where they're going to school and what they want to do. And it has changed traditions. It's changed rivalries. Absolutely. It's, it has changed to where it's now instead of a rivalry, it's the big games. Like, yep. I mean, it's great that we're going to see these big games that we probably wouldn't see, but it's just like the tradition and the reason why we all love college football and some people love it more than the NFL, like, it's gone now. Absolutely. I, a perfect example of this is this year will be the last battle of Bedlam. For those of you who don't know, the game between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, this will be the last battle of Bedlam because of OU moving to the SEC in quite some time, and they might reschedule it so that it's an out-of-conference game to replay at some point. But from, from what it sounds like from Gundy, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And Which, so, I don't blame them. I don't either, but don't the him. issue that comes with it is then all of that tradition is now just wiped down the drain. Yeah, it doesn't matter And anymore. you have teams like Oregon State that are left in the dust that Oregon will never play again, or you have teams that are now moved into whole different realignment places. and It's, it's a giant mess. Um, 
It's I more th- than just football too. Like it's affected like softball, basketball, like teams that don't have the luxury travel like football Absolutely. does. It is going to be a wild day for me when the University of Central Florida's softball team has to travel all the way out to Utah to yeah. play a game at Utah with the facilities and the limitations that they have. Football, of course, is the big moneymaker, and they'll they'll figure it out. Football they'll be, be okay. fine. Yeah, it's just exactly. the other sports. It's everybody else that's getting dragged along with it. How are we going to get wrestling to work? How are we going to get basketball to work? How are we going to get all of these other schools and sports in, integrated and a part of the conference long enough that they're not just going to leave right away? Because that's I assume that's part of the fear for a lot of these conferences is that we're going to use you as kind of a leapfrog to get into the SEC, to get into the Big Ten, to get into whatever conference we want to get into, and then you'll dissipate, just like the Pac-12. I mean, before before we had that report about them going to the ACC, it my kind of idea was, I mean, obviously, conference realignment doesn't matter anymore about distance and all that, so we could have had independent conferences like Tulsa, Tulane, Tulane? Are they, uh, what conference are they got? Oh, I don't remember. But teams, I know you're talking teams about. like that, into the Pac-12, and it one like helps them get involved. Two helps recruiting. Three helps them get money, and then because we see it every year, we see teams like UCF, Cincinnati. They go in the feed and they think like, "Oh, we deserve to be in the top four. Well, you play nobody. Yeah, like it. It becomes a real conversation though. Then of how much credibility does the Pac-12 really have? That's true. Because Either. at that point, we're not calling it a Power Five conference, are we? If it's San Jose State, Colorado State, Washington State, Stanford, Cal, you kind of have to have some of those big dogs to play in there Which, to make yeah, it for legit. Sure. Um, and part of the thing that's so great about college football is that the more you win, the better off your program becomes, and you can kind of build it over time. It it also then rewards teams for overstepping their shoe a little bit here. Right. I think a Cincinnati and a program like that, after losing Luke Fickle to um, Wisconsin, excuse me. Losing him to Wisconsin is a massive blow for them. He was the reason that they were good for so long, and now they're going to jump into the Big 12 without him and try to start all this over again, and I I get it makes more money for the school. They're going to be in a much better spot financially with stuff. I just It's hard for me to see a spot where a Cincinnati makes sense in the Big 12 or a Stanford makes sense in the ACC. It's just going to become all about money on stuff. It's going to be very weird, for sure. All of this has happened and Notre Dame is still not on the conference. <laughs> yeah, I was going to let you actually jump over to them next if you really wanted to about, because that was kind of the next idea we talked about was the independent conferences. Do you want to go on your little Notre Dame rant from their, their opening week game? I am just freaking, I'm always annoyed with Notre Dame. They think they're so clever thinking, like, hey, we don't need to be in the conference to freaking be successful. But it's just, you play, it's the same as what I said with UCF and Cincinnati. You play nobody, and then you lose, you did beat Clemson last year. Which, true. Hats off to you, but usually nine times on ten, you get destroyed in these big games like Alabama and the and the conference champ. Well, not the conference champ, the semifinal. Like, it's just like you need to play those big games to at least have some experience going into the playoffs. You can't be going up and playing up against who freaking is who they playing like Tennessee State. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, your first game was against Navy in Ireland. Like, let's not let's not out over blue overblow proportions of how good Navy was. Of course, we love their program, but they're they're not on the same type of level. I think it, it becomes kind of the conversation of either you got to have everybody go independent so everybody can kind of schedule a strong, tough schedule, mm-hmm. or people need to join a conference. I completely right. agree with you on Notre Dame and a lot of their points. If they want to be a legitimate program that has a legitimate chance at making the college football playoff every year, you got to play some of the big boys. You really do. Even when you get to the National Championship, you get smacked by Alabama and A.J. McCarron. Like, yep. Yep, it's. Uh, we know what we're getting when we see a big Notre Dame game. 
Oh, absolutely. Nine times out of ten. Sometimes they shock us. I think the sport is better when Notre Dame is the legitimate good, just like I think the sport is better when Miami is very, very good. Oh, yeah. When Miami was, I think it was 2016 when Mm -hmm. they were undefeated, real good. Then they lost to Pitt. It's a much more fun atmosphere and scene for everything else. I think that at some point Notre Dame will get back into that spot. This would be kind of the perfect time for them to jump ship, right, and hop into something. I would. This is right when everybody's going to conference realignment. Everyone's moving. Might as well try something new. Break freaking all news outlets that you're finally joining a conference. Okay. Let's play a little hypothetical here for a second. Okay. You and I are sitting in, sleeping in tomorrow morning. We open up the phone. We get a notification on ESPN. The Big 12 has decided that Notre Dame... (laughs) will be joining the conference. I would scream I would scream in my commons hallway like, "Oh my god, they actually did it." They finally pulled it off. They now, finally of course, did it. Of course they're not going to do that anytime soon. No, I assume because they, of how they have their money set up, they're not going to touch it. They but be creative. I think it would be almost a seamless fit if they were to join the Big 10. That would be really interesting. Because I mean, they're it's right not that there. Fun. Yeah, they're right they're there. They're right there. It's they fit more than Rutgers does. Yeah. They fit more than Maryland does. I mean, I would love to see Notre Dame versus Illinois. <laughs> like, yeah, there would be some really good games that come out. Well, of that. right now, Notre Dame sounds like if every there's a variety pack Doritos, and everyone's picking Doritos, Hot Cheetos, everything. Notre Dame's picking the classical Lays yep. because they want to be creative. They, they want to be on their own, and they want to be themselves. They want to think they're cool. Kind of sticking on the idea of college football right now, there are a few different questions that are going to kind of shape the form of college football for this season, and I kind of wanted to get into a couple of them. So I'm going to ask you some of these questions, and I just want to kind of hear what you think about some of the things that we're talking about. Gotcha. Alabama football, you've probably heard of them. You've probably seen their jerseys and everything else that they do. I have. They currently have still not named a starting quarterback. It actually has been reported, like probably like 40 minutes ago before we started okay. start this. Jalen Monroe will be the starter. Jalen Monroe will be the starter. Which I am a fan of. Okay. But it's kind of like, Jalen. if you don't know, Jalen Monroe is kind of like a Jalen Hurts type build. Extremely fast, not as accurate, but he has gotten better. And then you have the backup quarterback, Ty Simpson, who is, from what I've heard, he's two a tongue of Iloa, but he's right-handed. <laughs> so it'll be interesting because there was a, it was a big battle. Like, no one knew who the starter was. Nick Saban even said he wasn't going to release the depth chart. And then it got reported that Jalen Monroe will start and all that. So it's great to know that there's actually a starter there in Alabama. That is a nice thing to know before going into week one. Do you think that they will run something similar to kind of how that Alabama team ran it, where they'll have Jalen Hurts in a lot of the, their version of Jalen Hurts, excuse me, Jalen Monroe, yeah. and be able to switch in a Ty Simpson when needed and be able to go to another quarterback? Because at some point as well, there was a third quarterback in the mix, correct? For the starting uh, he, job, he was a Notre Dame transfer because we do have we did sign Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, which I am excited about. Yep. yep Don't yep. have the name on top of my head, and I apologize. I, I should have been more prepared, but uh, I think it will be interesting because um, I'm kind of nerve wracking because 2016 you had Jalen Hurts going in, he wasn't he wasn't able to really pass the ball much, so we run the ball, and that's when we had Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator. But going into the national championship, Lane Cliffin says, "Hey, I'm going to Florida Atlantic. We are gonna si- we are gonna have a- another offense corner to go. We just completely ignored the running game, and that is what I'm afraid that's gonna happen if we try and just make Jalen Monroe do too much and just try and like just throw the ball 40 yards deep. What I am excited is." The new offense coordinator is really involved with the tight ends. I feel like that's what Alabama has been getting away from with the Bill O'Brien system, not using the tight end. Even though he's known for using tight ends, I feel like we didn't use them as much. Like we had people like O.J. Howard and all and 
all that. So it's going to get really interesting to see how the offense will change, but I'm more interested in the defense because I feel like from years prior, defense is not where it's at. We did fire the defense coordinator, but um, you had people like Minka Fitzpatrick, Jonathan Allen, uh, Ryan Anderson, Marlon Humphrey. Guys from even just last year, Will Anderson, Will Ryan Anderson Branch. Even. And now, I mean, it's going to be can they get back to that mold that they were known as the SEC top defense with people like Kool-Aid McKinstry? Or are we just – is it going to be the same where it's like a shootout every game? Absolutely. I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to talk about. Now, the third quarterback that was on that list is named Tyler Buckner out of well, Notre Dame. I knew it was Tyler something, but I didn't want to butcher that. Yep, Mr. Tyler Buckner, we appreciate you if you are listening. We know you're not. <laughs> Anywho, I believe that – yeah, I think that their defense will be fine. I think Nick Saban, his system will work out with that. Um, just like any team, the quarterback is really the biggest question mark. And Alabama is on a talent level that I don't believe this will become a real issue until we get into big games. I don't think so either. Once we get to the Tennessees and the Georges and everything else, then it might become a conversation of who's your starter, what are they doing, who, like where are we going with this. But I think, I mean, Alabama is playing They're playing Middle low. Tennessee first week. Yeah, like I, I could be out there and be the starting quarterback <laughs> for Alabama, and I still think they'd probably win by 40. Uh, it's yeah, it's gonna get real interesting. The real test, I think, will be against Texas. Yes, that'll be. I, very I will good admit game. it. If Quinn were stayed in the game, probably would have lost. Yeah, we deserved to lose that game. game. Bryce Young just had that magic in him. Speaking of a little bit more down south and over to the west, we have the next question in here of how is OU's new defense going to look against Arkansas State Week One? Now, first a little bit of context: OU has fired their defensive coordinator from the year before brought in a new defensive coordinator. I will make sure to get his name correct here in just one second. And also made sure to bring in the number four recruiting defensive class for transfers this last year. Oklahoma football has been an incredibly proud program that has been over 500 for the last 15 or so years until last year. when they For had the a, first time. For the first time. Do you believe that they will be able to bounce back or do you think it will be more of the same as last year? You know, I've uh, covered OU a little bit whenever I worked for K1 in Bartlesville. And, um, you know, Brent Venables was really focused on at least the defense knowing the terminology because he said when he got there, they didn't really know his system at all. So that was another uh, adversity lesson, like trying to learn them a new defense, a new style, new schemes. So this year, I think their defense could bounce back to it because usually years prior, they are not looking good. Usually the Big 12 is known for shootout games. Like, Absolutely. Like Bedlam, Baylor, Iowa State. Like, they're known to have more shootout games. Defense is non-existent. But this one, I'm kind of interested to see what Brent Venables is going to bring to the table in the Big 12 and then the SEC. Yeah, I'll be really curious as well. Ted Roof is the new defense or offensive coordinator there and then became the defensive coordinator with them. So part of the question that I have with them is just surely based on talent alone, I think that they're in a little bit of a disadvantage right now and then next year especially when you're going to the SEC. For sure. Because that's how you build your team in the SEC is you got to have some defense and you got to have a run game. I will be curious to see this year if their defense is able to hold up in some of those shootouts because that became kind of their issue last year is that the offense was good not great. Not great. But it was good enough to win you a lot of games. And Especially you had, when you had Eric Gray. Exactly. Phenomenal. You have a lot of times where the defense would end up letting you down and give up significant amount of pointage to whoever they're playing. A smaller school, bigger school, didn't really matter all that much. So I think this year that's going to be the big question on if they're back to being the OU that we knew under Lincoln Riley or if they're going to be a whole different team with Brent Venables. Yeah. I think they're going to 
shift focus more onto the, I think they'll have a top defense, but I really don't know about that offense, honestly, with a lot of people. You still got Dylan Gabriel, but you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be real interesting. That will be a really interesting one for them. Um, well, some of the other ones that we want to bring up here, just real quick. I think you kind of touched on this earlier, so you don't have to spend too much time on it. Do you think there's any hope for Nebraska and Matt Rule moving forward? I really don't know. I mean, Matt Rule seems like kind of like the locker room type guy, like he believes in everybody, but it's just like I don't know. You went from Baylor, then you went to Panthers. It's I think you can get them like to a sound football program, but if that's reaching to the top of the Big Ten, I don't. I don't know if I can really see Nebraska being back to where they were. That's a good point. I will be curious to see as well. Kind of transitioning here now, we're going to look more into the big boys, the NFL, the National Football League. Big boys. Which I will tell you, Ty, and you know this too well because I had to text you about 20 times yesterday. I 100% thought that the NFL started yesterday. No, me too. We were like, we had everything prepared about what we were going to say about Chiefs last versus Lions. Game. Oh, we were so ready. We were so pumped. And, and then, then we, we got into research and found, oh, hey, it starts next week. Yeah, I was like, I'm about to get my uh, Sunday ticket ready. I'm going to get everything. And then it's, he texts me. He's like, dude, it doesn't even start today. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> it, was a, it was a sad moment for the both of us in our hearts. because I think real sad. I th- you know what I think got me? I'm always used to there's one week of college football and then there's the NFL and so those week zero games that USC played that yeah. I watched I think it threw me off to think oh that's week one I'm I was really forward. confused I was like you would think they would market like the first game of the season more like on their Absolutely. Instagram and stuff and I was like I haven't seen much I and then seen I got the text I was like oh so we can kind of start there honestly the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs returned for again trying to keep their title defense they keep a lot of the same people this year they have same Patrick Mahomes. He's a pretty good football player. Yeah, hey, I mean, you can Travis Kelsey. He's a pretty good player too. Uh, they have the same head coach, Andy Reid. And I think really the biggest and only question mark that they have right now, outside of receiver, which was a question last year and didn't seem to bother them, is the Chris Jones situation. Yeah, and I think that that's going to become a bigger issue as the season moves forward. Mm-hmm. But I think for right now, they will kind of have to just work around it and make it figure out. I don't think that people truly understand how valuable and good Chris Jones is. Yeah, or any defensive tackle, really. Absolutely. Besides, yeah. like, a lot of, like, the um, untrained to the common eye, like, if it's not Aaron Donald, like, they don't really care about defensive Absolutely. tackles. But he's a real – he's been a big factor, especially with past Super Bowls and past playoffs, and has been really, like, that big leader. Yeah. Maybe besides Tyron Matthew whenever he was there, but Chris Jones has always been that guy. For some simple context on Chris Jones, Chris Jones lined up as an outside rusher, I think it was 20% of the time in the Chiefs offense or defense yeah. last year. He had a higher pass rush grading than Matthew Judon did last year for the Patriots. And Matthew Judon is a phenomenal pass rusher who's really doing is. his job. Well, he's kind of looking for a new contract. Though, he should be looking for a new contract. As I well. would too. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think Chris Jones will get it figured out. I think right now it's kind of an issue that you just kind of have to get it done as soon as possible yeah. or you're going to walk into the season without your best defensive player. And especially after losing Tyron Matthew on that side of the ball. Especially after having all these young dudes in there. It's part of what the Kansas City Chiefs need right now is yeah. I think they need that defense to kind of show up and play well up to their standards. On the other side of the ball, we're kind of looking at the Lions as everybody's sleeper team of the year, which makes it so much not that they're sleepers anymore. Yeah, everyone's been picking the Lions. Everybody's picking the Lions to win the division this year. Do you buy it or do you sell it? I buy it. I mean, Dan Campbell's that guy. I think Jared Goff is... I mean, you know what you're giving Jared Goff, but he's underrated. And then you get Jameson Williams for a full season. You get Jameer Gibbs, even though probably got picked a little too high, but he's still a good running back. But I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning towards on the Packers side. I kind of believe in Jordan Love, honestly. I'm kind of getting there with you too. I in my head right now, if I were to just have it to pick without doing a whole lot of research behind it, I would probably put the Lions third in that division. 
I would too. I would put them behind the Minnesota Vikings and I'd put them behind the Green Bay Packers. Now, the reason I'm not putting them behind the Chicago Bears is because they're such an unknown to me <laughs> that it. Chicago Bears have They could go. I honest to God believe that the Chicago Bears could go anywhere between 5 and 12 and 12 and 5. Yeah. I think that they could win that division outright and be a top two seed in the NFC. I also think that they could be a terrible team again who doesn't have a, a pick to show for it, and they're going to have to figure out something new with Justin Fields. I don't think it's their year yet, but I do. I am a, I'm a fan of them getting DJ Moore and all that. But I agree. I don't think it's their year yet. Very fair. So it moving will, on from we'll that see. kind of game, I I think it'll be a really good game. And hey, next week we'll actually be able to talk about that. Next year we can actually get pumped. <laughs> we can actually get excited for it and know what the correct day is. Yeah. Some of the better games that I have going for this weekend and for my money, Dolphins at the Chargers. That game was a phenomenal game last year. Yeah. I think with two high-powered offenses at their peak of healthiness right at the beginning of week one, that's going to be a beautiful game to watch. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill versus that defense of Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, Justin Herbert going up against that team and that defense that's on the other side. I think that'll be a really good one to establish how good each of those teams are for the year. One of mine is I am excited. Honestly, I know it's a little shot in the dark here. I'm excited to see what Tampa Bay does against Minnesota. We kind of get the revitalization of Baker starting again. Gets Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and then... Other ones you got uh, obviously Green Bay and Chicago big one even though it doesn't matter the record at Chicago you get Phil you game. get Philadelphia uh, against New England at Philadelphia which that will be interesting because New England against top teams they're usually able to constant like kind of slow them down and then you got Battle of the Mid you got the Commanders versus the Cardinals that one I would be very interested in so there's there's two things that you brought up there that I'm actually kind of curious with here number one I am really curious to see how the Packers at the Bears end up playing because that's a whole lot of unknowns in one room and mm -hmm. it's just like my favorite type of football you get to see what is Jordan Love gonna be week one what is Justin Fields in this new offense gonna be is Darnell Wright the starting tackle for the Bears for the next 10 years is Chris, have, has Christian Watson solidified himself as wide receiver exactly one? there are just so many questions in there that have to be answered that it becomes a very interesting game a couple that I wanted to add on are their bills at the Jets Aaron Rodgers first game as a New York Jet going up against the division winners in Josh Allen I think this will be a great game. This is the Monday Night Football game. I believe that this will be one of the better games of the week. I still am going to probably take Buffalo if I had to, if I had to put some money on it right now and take the Bills to beat the Jets. But I do think that the Jets are headed in the right direction. I think that if they get a little bit more development underneath their belts and Aaron Rodgers is a good enough quarterback that he can still kind of keep them afloat, I think that they're going to be a really good football team. The only thing is that offensive line, because if you've seen hard knocks, they've been kind of struggling. They have been struggling, absolutely. Another one I would say is Carolina versus Atlanta. You get Bryce Young's first starting game, and you get to see what Desmond Riddler's looking like. That whole that whole division is just one confusing mess to me. I, it really is. I don't know what to do with it, and I think that that's a game that'll kind of tell you where it's going to be at. I think the other one in there that we're all kind of skipping over is the Bichon debut. Oh, yeah. I think Bijan Robinson going up against Carolina. Bryce Young's debut will be a good one in there. Bijan, I mean, he was playing running back, receiver. I mean, he's kind of like what Kyle Pitts was his rookie year. They're like, he can play tight end, he can play receiver. That dude is going to be a problem. And I hope that Arthur Smith is a smart enough offensive coordinator to use both of them because he has now two of the biggest athletic freaks on his team in the entire NFL. And it would be a real shame if they had a bad offense around him. And then you got the Sunday night primetime game. You got New York versus Dallas. Game with the Trey Lance controversy, and then the big question is, is Saquon worth the hype like he says, and did he deserve a bigger contract? 
Absolutely. With that being said, that's a perfect segue Transition to our debates. Our <laughs> debate section. Quickly, though, we're going to take a quick break for right now and just say thank you so much for listening to this first section of our podcast. We are trying to make this work better and better each week that we decide to make it happen. We are hoping to have as many listeners as possible that are just interested in sports and want to hear a good debate and a good set of news for the week. If you are interested in any way, this should be up on a Spotify account as well as the Apple Music account for any further details. And welcome back into the second segment of the Lace Em Up podcast, where this part we're going to be working more into a debate style and look into some of the bigger questions asked around the sports world within the time that we're looking at. So, over the last probably month or so, we could say there has been a massive debate going on in the NFL, solely based around the running back position. The idea of how much they should get paid for how many years and all of the debates on how the value of the position works. So, a couple of different context de uh, details that we have beforehand. Saquon Barkley for this entire offseason was trying to find a way to get a new contract and a long-term agreement. Throughout this offseason, they had multiple times said, we're going to franchise tag you and not include a longer-term deal. Later on this, or earlier on this month, Saquon Barkley agreed to a one-year, incredibly incentive-based deal for, I believe it was about $13.5 in total guarantee, or in total money if he made everything. Which would have made him the third highest paid running back. Correct. Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. Now, I want to say for certain, though, that he's getting a $6.5 million guarantee, and the rest of that is based on incentive. I think it's nine mil. Okay. Either I, I which, could, either way, we like, either which way, right around half of it or less is guaranteed for that. Following that one, Dalvin Cook was cut and replaced by Alexander Madison by the Minnesota Vikings. Which that kind of shocked me because Dalvin Cook's really good. Dalvin Cook is a really good player, and we can get into that a little bit later. And kind of the big one that topped all of this off was the conversation between Jim Ursay and his star running back Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor throughout this offseason is alike. Saquon Barkley and wanting a brand new contract with multiple year contract guarantee into it. Part of this issue coming from this though is that the owner, Jim Ursay of the Annapolis Colts, came out multiple times talking badly about Jonathan Taylor and the running back position. Talking about how multiple times when they were redoing all of the running back, um, redoing all of the contracts and making sure that they had everything correct in the new CBA, that they could have removed franchise tax. And they could have been able to make the, the running back position a little bit more valuable. But in Ursay's own way of putting it, it is an undervalued position that has been set in that way per or correctly. He believes this is how they should have it done. Jonathan Taylor then requested for a trade. And then Jim Ursay told every NFL owner, like, nah, man, we can't trade you. He's hurt. And then Jonathan Taylor said, I'm not hurt. Like... Yeah, it's My a really weird situation going on up there right now. And Which, at this point, he's out for four weeks, correct, with, uh, with that back injury that they're claiming. But Jonathan Taylor still says that he's fine. Was Which, that needs to be investigated. Absolutely. Like, I think, like, Jim Ersa needs to be held accountable if he's lying about an injury. Absolutely. I think it becomes a real conversation about who's in the right and who's in the wrong about this. But before we get too deep into that one point specifically, the overall point that we wanted to discuss today, do you believe that one-year deals or multi-year deals for running backs should be allowed and should be paid for. Basically, the question should be, do you think that running backs are undervalued right now, and do you think that they should be paid as the, such? They're 100% undervalued, honestly. And as much as they deserve multi-year contracts, I think throughout the whole basics and how with much of the offense has changed over time, that it's going to be kind of like 
each year they're gonna get a one year like you okay you gotta prove yourself to earn more money and then more which sucks for the running backs but I think that's just how it's gonna be yeah the reality of the situation versus the want of the situation is two very different things now for me personally I'm kind of getting to understand what the owners are talking about here for two different reasons on this number one the previous Super Bowl winners the formula for all of these Super Bowl winners and who they had spent money on for their starting running back. 2020, this is when the CBS article was posted, so they don't have specifically from the last couple of years, but 2020, Leonard Fournette was making a base salary of $2 million. The year before that was the Chiefs running back, Damian Williams, making just over a million dollars. Sony Michelle in 2018, making $480,000. LeGarrette Blunt for the Eagles, making right around $900,000. LeGarrette Blunt again for the Patriots this time, making right around $76,000. Uh, $760,000 and then 2015 CJ Anderson was making just over half a million dollars so the last time that you can go and find a running back that was making over the two million dollar amount as a leading rusher on an or on a Super Bowl winning team you actually have to go back to 2013 and it was not a running back it was Percy Harvin who was the leading rusher for that team that's just wild 2.5 million dollars I mean from the owner standpoint I get it like you don't really need a big, high market running back to win Super Bowls. I mean, Patriots, for example, you had James White, Sony Michelle, Garrett Blunt, uh, Stephen Ridley, Danny Woodhead. You don't need the high market running backs. But it's, again, it's, it's a very confusing subject because both sides are kind of in the right here. But honestly, it kind of affects, I think, with the youth. Because Absolutely. Every kid wants to be every kid owns a Saquon Barkley jersey every kid wanted the Dalvin Cook jersey everybody wants to be Saquon Barkley everyone wants to be Derrick Henry every white guy wants to be Christian McCaffrey like fair enough so I will say there's a guy who grew up about 20 minutes from the high school that Christian McCaffrey went to I know every one of those kids that went to that school wanted to live up the legacy of Christian oh trust me like as a uh, Caucasian I wanted to grow up to be as Julian <laughs> Edelman <laughs> like, we we had dreams and aspirations but we lived them out through our other shorter more athletic white friends and then if you have the star running backs sitting out like it's not gonna want people to be running backs which it's kind of has people like Christian McCaffrey like and now we'll see with B. John Robinson, like they're going to be in the wide receiver route, which if that's the case that running backs are going to be wide receiver, why the hell am I gaining this much weight, putting on this much muscle just to be a receiver? I should be losing weight. I should be doing getting faster. I shouldn't be a running back if that's the case. Absolutely. I think it's going to have a massive effect on the pool of talent that comes in playing running back versus playing receiver or corner or quarterback or anything else at this point. Because if you're if you're athletic enough, too, you can go to quarterback now. Really good. And that's another position in this that's going to be kind of interesting is where are people going to start following the money? Are people going to start turning to, we're going to have five receivers and one of them is going to be able to play running back? Or is it going to turn into, we have a sole running back that's going to flip the position? Now... With the 49ers, I mean, Debo Samuel played running back. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring up with this is I kind of think in a lot of cases it comes down to two things. Number one, who the running back is, and number two, that team. So a perfect example of this is the Tennessee Titans. I believe I have the numbers pulled up right here. Derrick Henry, at the age of 26, so a couple of years ago, was signed to a four-year $50 million contract. Pretty much unheard of in today's running back right. market. I believe that was a valuable contract to them I because so he is their offense. He is what is their running focus. He is that team's heartbeat and everything else to it. Now, if we're talking about somebody in the sense of a guy who got paid even more money than that, Alvin Kamara, for five years at $75 million. 
do I think that contract's worth it? I have a harder time saying that because I, in my heart of hearts, I know that Alvin Kamara is a complimentary player in that offense. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of things really, really well. He's incredibly elusive after the catch. He's a great receiver for a running back. He does all of those things really, really well. But he is more of a product of the offense that he's in right now than being the offense itself, such as, i.e., a Derrick Henry, a Christian McCaffrey in Carolina. I think think you could put Kamara anywhere, and I think he would work. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the thing that teams are starting to understand with running backs in a lot of ways, too, is that it doesn't take a whole lot of great running back talent to be a great running back in this league. Not really. I mean, look at the Chiefs last year. You had Pacheco and Jarek McKinney. Like, yep. Pacheco was a seventh-round pick who ended up being just as valuable in the Super Bowl as a lot of the running backs over there. McKinney kind of bounced around. Exactly. He was a fine player for them as well. I think it turns into a lot of conversation of who do you want to pay and for how much? The thing is with people like Derrick Henry and even you can say the Ravens, like that offense doesn't work anymore. Like you need a star receiver. I know you try to get Traylon Burks, who is kind of questionable at the moment, but people like Derrick Henry, like if you're getting like 40, 50, it happened with Zeke too, if you're getting like 30, 40 carries a game, you're going to get weared down like four to five years in. So now you're paying Derrick Henry a buttload of money and he's not going to probably be the same as when he was considered an MVP. No, absolutely. I'll agree with you on that. I'll counterpoint with this in saying that that's true for just about any position, however. I remember when the Denver Broncos made the Super Bowl, not won it in 2015, but made it in 2013. That was a rough game. There was a couple of dudes on that offense that got paid for their production the year before, i.e. the Wes Welkers, the Eric Deckers, those kind of guys, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for me to say that, oh, a running back should be based only on the value of its looking forward because a lot of times in sports you're ending up paying for what a guy has already done. Right. You're paying for the production that you've already gotten, and now you're saying thank you for what you've done, continue what you're doing in that. So I, I get it 100%. I get the angle of it, but if we're going to play that advocate angle, we need to be able to play that with every position. We need to be able to say the Belichick way of cutting people one year before they're in their spot or trading them away one year before they lose all your value is kind of the MO for the entire NFL, or it's for none of the NFL. Which usually in those situations, like, most positions are willing to kind of reconstruct their contract. Absolutely. But, but the running backs aren't because they're already getting paid less than what they're already worth. Correct. So I wanted to kind of look at right now where we kind of stand and who still has long-term deals. Alvin Kamara, I believe, still has two years left on his deal, correct? Christian McCaffrey still has two years left on his deal. Derek Henry's contract is up after this year. Aaron Jones' contract is up after next year. Ironically enough, one of the only people that got paid this offseason as a running back was Miles Sanders by the Carolina Panthers, who received a four-year, $25 million contract. And so that situation's too. Like, I get it. Like, Panthers are not good. They were not good at all. But you have a rookie running back. You want to give him as many options as possible, so you overpay him. One one team kind of was New England in 2021. They had too much cap space, so they got two tight ends. They overpaid with uh, Nelson Aguilar overpaid with Gianni Smith like that's kind of you don't you want it with a rookie quarterback but also it kind of ends up biting you absolutely and I think that there's a lot of times where you're drafting for a need that you think of a spot and not necessarily the want of a person right like you're you're looking more at oh we need a productive high-level running back to come in and play this position not so much who is that running back that we're going to go out and get in that high level because I like Miles Sanders as much as the next guy do you think that he is worth the sixth highest ranked Contract in the NFL for running backs. Right if you're looking back, like there's people like Austin Eckler, Clyde, uh, not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I apologize. Travis Etienne, the, Brees Hall, J- DeAndre Swift, Kenneth Walker, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins. 
AJ Dillon. It's just Brian Robinson. It's just a weird Damian Pierce. It's a weird situation. Most of those are in their rookie deals, which that was another. Which that was another topic. People were like, "Well, if that's the case, then." We got to do where running backs get more, rookie running backs get more than Jeff, which that also just puts, ask you about that that. puts a lot of complications with salary cap. And then you can even argue that, okay, well, we got to up the amps with the quarterbacks, the wide receivers. Absolutely. So. You kind of you walk yourself into a slippery slope with that if you start paying rookies a little bit more in a certain position. Because then you might have a whole different turn of what we were talking about before of all these young dudes are going to come in and say, oh, I'm a running back. Oh, I'll play running back. You're yeah. going to give me $12 million a year to start right away. I'll play running back, and then I'll transition to, to, to wide receiver, or I'll transition to a different spot, um, which a lot of times doesn't work. You have to be a real special athlete to be able to play multiple positions in the NFL. But Julian Edelman. you're going to get players that do that. Yeah. You're going to get guys that are, that are going to say, how do I get the money the fastest and the most efficient way? Uh, which at this point, honestly, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter that much with how NIL is working not only in high school but in college. Your your money is there a lot of the times beforehand. Which maybe NIL will do an impact with the running backs to where they don't care as much, but it's just with these guys that didn't experience it in NIL. Yeah. It's almost a it's it's a weird position because it almost has become taboo in the NFL. You get the the guys like Mel Kiper that you cannot draft a running back in the first round. There's no value to drafting a running back in the first round. And then you get to the contract point and there's no point in paying these guys any contracts. So how do you then turn a position that in a lot of cases, can be over half of your offense. They run the ball in Tennessee at least 65% of the time. How are you turning that into it's an invaluable position? How do you how do you rationalize that as a... It's just really with the holdout that they're trying to do. Like, yeah. I mean, if you have people like Derrick Henry, like these big running backs that are holding out, and then you're stuck with these, like, not scrawny, but, like, not as big as Derrick Henry trying to get those third carries. Which, I mean... Again, I agree. It depends on the offense because most people, they want the smaller running backs that are able to receive it, like the Kansas City Chiefs, what we're looking at with the Dallas Cowboys. And then you have teams like New England and Tennessee that run the ball a lot. So it really, I don't know. It really depends on the team, depends on the owner of all the cases, and just how we can get that running back situation back to where it is. Because if, if this was like with Waller paying the Bears, yeah, you're paying them. But Absolutely. And, and it's a different era and everything else. I, one thing that we haven't mentioned, which I think is probably one of the biggest causes and points to all of this, is the idea of the injury volatility of the running back position. That too. Um, they end up going out faster than anyone else. Correct. And then you get into the conversation of we'll do a running back by committee, but if we're paying a running back a significant amount, then we want them to be in a certain spot. I... I believe it should not have been as big of a conversation as it was for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think that Jim Irsay in some ways is right. I believe his message is wrong and the way that he sent it out to the world was wrong. Jim Irsay made it seem like every NFL owner is a piece of crap. Oh, 100%. I'm not, please do not hear this as I am defending the way that he articulated what he said. His point, however, about, hey, you you had a chance to fix this. You had a chance to do something about this in the last um, collective bargaining agreement, and you didn't. And now you're paying the consequences of it because you wanted to get other stuff done. And I kind of agree with that in some ways. You kind of you have to have a compromise in a business like this. You can't have where, oh, we're going to pay everybody a certain amount and we're going to get everybody a certain large contract to it. And so I, I get it from that aspect of it. It's a hard conversation to figure out 
because then you get into the idea of, well, if rookie running backs are the most valuable, we should pay them the most. And then exactly like you said, Ty, it's going to be turned into, well, if they're getting as much money right out the gate, why am I not getting as much money right out the gate? I think the only way, if you're trying to modify like draft contracts, I think the only way with running backs is they get shorter rookie deals. I think they get maybe like a two-year running back deal. But like quarterbacks still get four, or however the teams want to do it. I think that might be the only way to do it draft wise. But it's again, it's really tough trying to think about all of that. Absolutely. There's also the idea of just the devaluation of running back and the idea of it's a much more passing heavy league. And so if I have the teams pulled up right here, the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills are going to pass over 50% of the time with Josh Allen, and he can be a predominant runner for them as well. The Dolphins are going to want to pass over 50% of the time with that high-powered offense. The Jets are going to want to pass over 50% of the time with Aaron Rodgers and that new offense. Patriots, I would bet, are probably the closest to 50-50, but they're also a running back by committee. They have Ramon Stevenson there. They have a couple of young dudes they drafted, Pierre Strong Jr. They have a lot of guys in that room that they like to rotate in, and they've always been like that. Mm-hmm. So how does the running back prove that you're a multi-million dollar player? So I think the two things that I've seen that have really helped teams be okay giving away that money and kind of help out and saying, okay, we're cool giving that money is the ability to receive. The ability to be a receiving back. If I'm looking at the top four of the top, uh, sorry, excuse me, three of the top four running backs in terms of salary for their total value is Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and Aaron Jones. Mm Mm-hmm three of the best receiving backs in the entire league. And I think that versatility then allows you to say, I'm going to line you up at receiver, maybe not as efficiently as something like Chris McCaffrey. Chris McCaffrey is just a different breed of human. He's a receiver and a running back. Um, So I think a lot of running backs are going to have to get to a point where it's like, hey, I need to be good at both catching the ball and doing something after it, as well as being a good running back. A guy like Austin Eckler. I was honestly really shocked that Austin Eckler didn't get a long-term deal from the Chargers because of that fact, because of him being able to be so versatile and be a pass catcher as well. It could be a really valuable piece to an offense. And I'll be really curious to see if some of the values and things that teams are looking for is harder to find over time. You know what I mean? Like, I think... It's, a, it's really easy to find a running back out of college that's good at running wide zone. Because right. half of the country has ran wide zone and they run that same offense and they know what they're doing with that. So you can find a couple of guys, oh, he's really talented, he'll know what he's doing in this. To find a guy that'll know complex route assignments, option routes, be able to run good routes, catch the ball and do something with it after, I think that's where you start to really get some of your value as a team. Jonathan Taylor is incredibly valuable. I believe that Christian McCaffrey is twice as valuable as him almost, just simply really? based on the fact that he can be such a versatile piece to your offense. He can be such a different piece to how you're running your team. If I were to tell you the San Francisco 49ers are lined up in I formation with the fullback right underneath there and they're run up in center or in straight line, that team could still pass out of that. They really could. And they could have enough good receivers on the field that they still feel good about their matchups. A lot of times when a team will go heavy and go tight inside, you're telling the other team, we want to run the ball because we don't have enough good matchups to match up against you. But it's people like Jonathan Taylor. Like, Colts were not looking good whenever uh, Jonathan Taylor was lining it. But he carried that team to Absolutely. damn near uh, AFC playoff, playoff picture until they lost to the Jaguars. But, um, you know, it's just people like him, like, they don't deserve a multi-million dollar the year deal. Absolutely, and that becomes that becomes a really hard conversation. Um, again, if you want to play the devil's advocate on it, though, Jonathan Taylor gets hurt last year. That offensive line wasn't very good either way. He was averaging, I believe, less than four yards per carry, 
does it become a hey is it every other year type thing does it depend on the offensive line all these type of things and 100 percent, i get like i was talking about before you pay based on the production that's already happened you can't pay a guy based on what hasn't already happened and what's already going to be you pay a guy based on his true production and what he can be and jonathan taylor has proven that he will can and will be a top three running back in this league when healthy it was another thing, too. It was with the 49ers. Like, you had people like Elijah Mitch- Mitchell, Raheem Mostert. Yeah, they were doing really damn good at the ball, but you had Christian McCaffrey in there. One, he helped Brock Purdy. Two, he elevated that offense already with Debo Samuel, who was very versatile. So, yeah, he deserved a multi-million dollar deal. Absolutely. I will be really curious to see if over the next few years, if a, one of a couple of trends start happening. Number one, I think that running backs will start becoming a lot more common in the first round if it ends up that they stop paying running backs. I think teams will just start allowing themselves to get these first-round running backs, draft these guys that are going to be in the team for three or four years. Because a lot of the teams that have done it in recent history, it's kind of worked out for them. If we go all the way back to 20, I want to say it was 2016, when Zeke got drafted fourth overall, that team instantly turned into the number one seed in the NFC. Mm -hmm. And they were, that was probably the closest Dallas was to the Super Bowl until Aaron Rodgers Kind of through one of the best passes in the NFL history. And Jared Cook had one of the best. Two. Well, besides Santana Holmes, but that was a pretty. Yeah, we can throw one of the. One of the best totes. Call it good. Um, think about a team like Saquon Barkley going number two to the Giants. I know it took a couple of years, but that team became really good based on the back of Saquon Barkley. I mean, the first year, Saquon was doing great. And then Absolutely. he got injured during that, and then he kind of revitalized the Giants again last year. Think about a guy like Travis Etienne and how valuable he has become for the last three years of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two years, excuse me. He got drafted two years ago. Simply based, he's only been there for one year. He tore his ACL his rookie year. He was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. Incredibly explosive player. Really impactful to them. If I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I would take that 100 times out of 100. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at, well, do I really like this defensive tackle? Do I? If you got a guy that you like, you take the guy that you like, right? You can find guys at the end of the first round that are really good. I.e., a T.J. Watt. A, there's a lot of guys that were second and early, uh, early second, late first round pick guys. But if you're not 100 percent sure and your highest rated guy on the board is a running back, I honestly believe that teams are going to start saying, well, let's just take this guy and let him be an instant impact guy for us right now. Only credit I will give to Urban Meyer was drafting, was drafting Travis Etienne. Yeah, that's about as far as we can go with that because you can't give him credit for drafting Trevor Lawrence. I think, I think that that was solidified number one. That one was pretty easy. I think the Etienne one was a little bit more interesting. I, honestly, I think there were some other dudes on that draft board that was like he probably could have gone with that. But that was one of the more questionable ones considering James Robinson had like that amazing year. And I think a lot of people are gonna. A lot of people are upset right now with how high Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson went, and I think both players are going to make a massive impact on their teams. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is a good running back. He's, he's a great running back. It's just, again, they're like, why did you draft him that high? Absolutely. And that's a really easy thing for us Not to just draft him up, you traded up for Jameer Gibbs. Absolutely. That's part of, I think that's probably everybody's biggest issue is that they went up to go get the guy. I think part of this for us is that us sitting in a booth like this, we can talk and debate value like that. Mm-hmm. If I'm Dan Campbell and I'm looking at my team, how do I make my team the best it can be within the confines of what I need? Oh, I need an absolute stud running back who's going to help my quarterback and my offense flow so much better. At that point, I almost feel like it's whatever value you can get for that, right? Because mm-hmm. there's not there was not another Jameer Gibbs in the draft. Yeah, can we agree no. on that? There was not another guy that was the ability to catch the ball like he does, a lot like we were talking about with an Alvin Kamara guy. He was That was the number one comp I always saw for Jameer Gibbs was Alvin Kamara. So if they're looking at this the same way that I'm kind of looking at it with the amount of value, then they say, 
everybody's going to be eating crow here in three, four years when we have one of the top five running backs in the league. And he is that valuable and he is that good for us. It's all going to depend on the salary cap, too. Cause Absolutely. Because if you're a team that has enough money to give out, yeah, you can give them a one-time million dollar deal. Absolutely. But if you're like Chiefs that don't really have much or even like Philadelphia, like you're not going to be wanting to give a guy a multi-million dollar deal that you can easily, not easily replace him, but you can find a running back kind of similar like him in the fourth round. Absolutely. You can even find improvements in the fourth round, i.e. a Damian Pierce out of Florida last year. Mm-hmm. One of the subset questions that I have with this, this is kind of a pivotal year for running backs and their market and how they play with all of these one-year deals, all these one-year prove-it deals to Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley and all these other guys, Zeke, Dalvin, do you see it playing out that those guys will prove that it's worthy to give running backs multi-year deals, or do you think that the NFL owners are going to be proven right throughout the season with I guys think, like Dalvin? I think Dalvin, I don't know, because he's going to split carries with Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Zeke's also going to split carries with Ramondre. I think them two may be not be the greatest comparisons, but I think they will perform. I think they'll do their thing. I think Rodgers will most likely pick on Dalvin to be the guy for the running back, and I think, it, like I said before, it's going to go transition to, all right, well, we'll give you a one-year base, but if you outperform, then you'll be paid like the highest paid running back like you should. That's an interesting way of doing it. I guess I'll, I'll put this in a better set of terms. I'll take out the Dalvin and Zeke portion of this. If we're talking about Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs for next year, let's talk about the idea of they have 1,200 yards each and they over, both have over 10 touchdowns. Dang good year for a running back, yeah, okay? really good. We get to the offseason next year, and we're talking about the same one-year contract. Do you feel more comfortable after seeing two years consistently from both Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley to say, I'm going to give you a multi-year deal? Or would you as an owner in this hypothetical still be in the spot of saying, well, I'll probably give you a one-year deal and prove it again? I think if you get over two to three years of like same production, you deserve a multi-million dollar deal. That's a fair call. That's, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I think if it. it's like... Kind of like Jarek McKinnon, like you bounce around, but you have one great year. I don't think you deserve a multi-million. Absolutely. Maybe like a two-year at most. But if it's someone like Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley, like constant, same thing, you know what you're getting with them, yeah, you deserve a multi-million dollar deal. Absolutely. And I think some of these guys they talk about are so replaceable, and it's they're just not. <laughs> I think it's, it's incredibly hilarious to me that they'll talk about, oh, well, you can just get another new running back in San Francisco. No, you can't. Kyle Shanahan is an unbelievably great offensive coordinator. That doesn't mean that there is another Christian McCaffrey in the world. Right. Christian McCaffrey is one of one, and his skill set and talent is unmatched in the NFL. Derrick Henry, his size, speed, strength, skill, unmatched. You're not finding another one of those guys. No. So when you have one of those guys, I almost feel like it's the right thing to do to not only pay them for your team, Mm -hmm. but for the right thing to do as as an owner and a person that's trying to look good within the organization. Because... Part of this, too, is that you start looking at guys that are coming in with free agency. Do you think that Jim Irsay and the Colts are going to get a free agent running back next year? Do you think if they draft a guy, he's going to be super happy to be there? This is is not just a one-year short-term effect on how you are now outlooked at the NFL. Jim Irsay has put a giant stain on the Indianapolis Colts for running backs moving forward. Pretty much. If I am a running back. And a lot of players, if I'm being honest. I wouldn't feel great if I was walking in there as any sort of position, and I just watched you trash your uh, your star player who led you to the end, uh, the playoffs two years ago. Had to have had some conflict in the running back room. Absolutely. Well, in I, the locker room. There has to be a lot more there that's not explained and we don't know about, and we don't need to speculate on what it is. Yeah, but right. from the information that we know, it's not a good look for you, Jim. Not, not at all. Look. Not at all. All righty. Well, I think overall on the running backs, we've kind of beat the dead horse at this point, and 
kind of decided that the guys that are worthy of it are worthy of contracts and the guys that aren't, keep giving them one-year proven deals. Keep giving them one year. I'll be really curious to see how it ends up playing out. Me I too. I've always loved running backs. Absolutely. Like, I was a running back in high school. Like, I love the the way you have to coordinate as a running back. I mean, for both of us sitting here, we go to Oklahoma State University and pass past the Barry Sanders statue every single day as we walk home. And it's we remember a, that. It's an incredible, iconic it's position. Exciting. So I hope that it makes a great return and that there are some level of compensation for the people that deserve it and can be part of the team building. Because I think you could make a really good team around some running backs. You really could. And also, if, like, even if you have like a great multi-million uh, dollar running back and you have, like, let's just say you have, like, base salary receivers. It's you can still be effective with that because it they're gonna expect you to run the ball and you can do RPOs, you can do a lot with running the ball. Absolutely. So. Well, on that note, I believe that'll be kind of the end of this show for us today. We again would like to thank anybody that is out there listening. We are hoping you keep this podcast to a weekly show on each Friday. We will let you know when we're publishing it out. Thank you so much for listening and have a good rest of your day. Thank you guys.